millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I have a friend who worked as a forest ranger in the If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. U.S. for a few years. He's told me some freaky stories about what he's found at work. I'm convinced that neither all forest rangers are in this huge inside joke to tell the most crazy stories about their work to anybody who asks about it or the woods hide much more than one would think. One of his stories that's always living rent, free in my head, is when he told me about this weird pit that he found in the middle of the woods. He said that they had received reports of this dug-up pit, 
Apparently, some colleagues had found it while patrolling, just a huge, large pit in the middle of the woods. He went to check it out, and sure enough, the pit was there, just a hole in the floor about the size of a car. But right in the middle of the pit, there was a vintage record player just there. He picked it up, and it seemed to be in mint condition. He took it to his office. The other rangers there just filled it up, and nobody ever came to ask about the record player, so he kept it. Next week, they got a complaint from their superiors as to why nobody had filled the pit yet. Confused, my friend assured that he and his colleagues had already filled it up. They assured them that the pit was still there. They were sent to inspect, and sure enough, it was again as if nobody had even touched it. No trace of the dirt that they had even put on top of it. There was only one difference, and this time, on the middle of it, one of those very vintage cigarette cases. My friend picked it up and, once again, filled the pit, figuring somebody must be up to some funny business here. Maybe some rituals or something, but none of it made sense. Again, nobody asked about the cigarette case, not that he'd expect to, so he kept it. A few days go by, and they get a report the pit is back again. Now they're having none of it. They go and carry a small security camera, strapping it to a nearby tree, finally catching the pit, digging maniac. When they get there, they find a small, old-looking, leather-bound notebook. Once again, my friend grabs it, takes it with him. They install the camera, fill up the pit, and leave. The pit never came back once the camera was placed. Whoever was digging it chickened out and left it alone. However, my friend's curiosity did not die there. He took the things to an expert and confirmed they were all genuine and in extremely good condition. A weird place for a vintage collector to store his treasures, but the strangest thing of all was that he found the journal. He opened it up and found a newspaper cut out. It read, April 17, 1972, and on the journal, there was only one phrase written. It worked. Another story he told me is about this kid that come stumbling out of the woods one day. He was somewhat dirty, but it just looked like a normal amount of dirty as a kid would be after playing around all day. He was wearing a t-shirt and jeans, so nothing out of the ordinary. When the rangers found him, they took him to one of their offices to ask about his parents, how he had ended up there. The kid answered he was just playing in the woods and got distracted by chasing a beetle. He had lost his parents and his brother and ended up where they found him. He seemed completely normal, but when he spoke, he had a strange accent as if English wasn't his mother tongue, but had learned it very well. They asked for the name of his parents, and he replied they were called K-98 and D-54. They insisted on their real names, but the kid kept repeating those numbers and did not know what the rangers meant. They asked if he knew their phone numbers, but the kid didn't seem to know what a phone was. He just seemed to slowly get more and more nervous. They kept asking him things to try and help him. About how long ago he had got lost, if he knew exactly where he was before. If he could remember where he had his parents, and where they parked their car, where he was from. But the kid answered nothing. All those words he seemed to have never heard them before. He seemed to be completely lost about it. Suddenly the kid gets up, said that he had made a big mistake, and promptly exited the office running. The rangers ran after him, but he was fast. He went into the woods and vanished, leaving no trace behind. The rangers went straight inside, but the kid was gone. 
After searching all afternoon, they figured they were going to need help. They called in search and rescue, conducted extensive searching covering much of the terrain as they could. They never found anything, not even footsteps. Everybody was ready for the parents to show up and asking about their kid at any moment. They never did. Missing posters were placed with his description, also shared on social media. The police even got involved at some point, but the child was never heard from again. Slowly, the search died out. He became a missing person report. No photo, address, or name to go by, just an extremely generic physical description and the name of his parents, K-98 and D-54. My friend said it became some sort of taboo topic. Nobody wants to think where a lost kid in the forest ended up. The thing is, even if my friend is sure nobody will ever find out what happened, he is convinced that kid was not lost in the woods, but somehow placed there. Perhaps his parents were alien. It's interesting the whole case surrounding it after the search died off. Everything on social media was pulled. Any documentation released was now redacted. Something about it is very, very fishy. One particular instance stands out as the most unnerving thing I've experienced. It's one thing to see a sign warning about a predator in the area. It's another thing to be stalked by it all day. I went out one afternoon on my small Joan boat to do some fishing in the swamp, mainly for Warmoth. I was pretty familiar with the area and motored out three, four miles to reach my favorite spot. Alligators are a fairly common place out there, and it's just something you become accustomed to. Generally, if you respect them, they'll respect you as they've become pretty used to fishermen. The water in the swamps are full of tannic acid from the decaying leaves on the bottom, so the water looks inky black at first. Invisibility is only a few inches. Anything that is visible just under the surface is tinted a dark amber color. I had caught a few fish and noticed that around 50-60 yards back up the canal, a pair of eyes floating just above the water was pointed in my direction. It was a gator. No big deal. They've learned to be opportunistic and steal stringers of fish if you leave them hanging over the side of the boat. I continued fishing for a few minutes and had just reached down over the side of the boat to grab the lip of a warmoth I'd hook. As I pulled the fish out, I saw the faintest glint of amber in the water, about a foot below where my hand had just been. I watched as the faint glint slowly rose up towards the surface of the water revealing two black eyes and the largest jaw on any gator I've ever seen in the wild. I slid back to the center of my small John boat as the head of the gator broke the surface. I could feel its back sliding along the bottom of my boat, shifting it slightly. After watching it for 10-15 seconds, it finally swam out from under the boat. I'm guessing it was pushing 12-13 feet, and that's after having seen hundreds of gators this gator followed me the rest of the day. I'd motor ahead a ways just to put some distance between us, and not long after I'd stop, I'd feel that familiar bump on the bottom of the boat again. Each time, it would eventually just swim off a few feet to turn and stare at me. I've never felt more outmatched. This dark, quiet, toothy bastard had the ability to sneak up on you any time it pleases and get within three feet of you before you ever know it's there.
Do you know how unnerving it is to look something in the eye if that makes it abundantly clear that it's only waiting for you to make a mistake? There's a level of intelligence and focus in those eyes that makes you understand your place in the food chain. It's not the first time gators have followed me. I've been followed by three at one time before. But none have ever made me so intimately aware that the only thing on its mind was to drag me out of my boat and under the surface of that black water. My wife's sister and their family had just moved into a new home in a new rural subdivision near Chevelin Park by Tumalo Creek in Bend. She had mentioned there were coyotes that made a horrible-sounding noise sometimes at night. They opened their windows at night on the second-story level. Me and my family were spending the night there, and I awoke to hear a dreadful-sounding repetitive call. Having grown up in the backwoods country of East Texas, I am familiar with the yapping cries of coyotes, and this sound was not from any animal I'm familiar with. The best way to describe the sound is that of a large bloodhound trying to clear its throat whole, loudly with no pitch or volume variances. It occurred in two separate periods, and the calls were about five or six repetitions, two seconds in length with about a one-second gap in between them. Once the sounds ended, there was an eerie silence for about five or six minutes, even though there are several dogs in the neighborhood. I had been a park ranger for years, and I thought I had seen it all, but one night, deep in the heart of the forest, I encountered something that shook me to my core. I was on my nightly patrol, checking on the park's inhabitants and making sure everything was running smoothly. That's when I saw it, a dark figure lurking in the shadows, with two glowing eyes that seemed to pierce through the darkness. As I got closer, I realized it was a Bigfoot but not like any I had ever seen before. It was taller than any man I had ever seen, with broad shoulders and long arms that hung down past its knees. Its fur was a deep dark brown, almost black, and it seemed to shimmer in the moonlight. But it was the eyes that really caught my attention. They were a bright glowing green, and they seemed to look right through me. I froze, unsure of what to do next, the creature let out a low growl, and I could feel the vibrations of its voice in my chest. I took a step back, but it didn't seem to be aggressive. It just stood there, staring at me with those eerie, glowing eyes. After a few moments, the Bigfoot turned and vanished into the forest, leaving me alone in the dark. I reported the sighting to my superiors, but they didn't believe me. They said it was just my imagination, or that I had seen a bear or a trick of the light. But I knew what I had seen. That Bigfoot was real, and it was out there, lurking in the shadows of the forest. And I couldn't shake the feeling that it was watching me, waiting for its chance to reveal itself once again. Went out for a drive today into the forest. The area used to be an old logging town, so much of the forest is regrowth. Parked my car and walked around for a bit. Felt watched, but I'm used to that feeling in the forest. Heard a loud rustling in the bushes, assumed it was just a rue. 
As I was about to leave in the car, I gazed out into the trees and started apologizing to the forest, out loud on behalf of the people who cut down the old growth trees and destroyed the old ecosystem. I felt the need to do this out of nowhere. Then once I had expressed my sorrow, I sort of came to and made eye contact with something about 50 meters away. We have grass trees that grow taller than any man, and when they die off, they give the appearance of an extremely hairy person, if you see them out of the corner of your eye or from a distance. It looked almost like one of those, only it had definite shapes of legs and arms and two black eyes. I stared into its eyes for a while. I wasn't fearful, quite calm, actually. It felt like we were both just acknowledging each other's presence. Then I drove away and did not look back. My name is Jack, and I was a government worker sent by the U.S. administration to track down a Bigfoot that had escaped from a CIA science experiment. I was a seasoned tracker, and I had been chosen for the job because of my years of experience in the deep woods. As I ventured deeper into the forest, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The trees were thick, and the shadows seemed to stretch on forever. And as the hours ticked by, my unease turned to outright fear. It wasn't long before I caught my first glimpse of the Bigfoot. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. A towering creature with matted fur and sharp claws. It seemed to be watching me, studying my every move with a keen intelligence that I hadn't expected. At first I thought that I could capture the Bigfoot alive and bring it back to the scientists who had created it. But as the days wore on, I began to realize that the creature was too powerful for me to handle. And then the attacks began. The Bigfoot seemed to be hunting me, stalking me through the woods with a ruthless determination. I was no match for its strength and agility, and I knew that my only hope was to outsmart it. But as I delved deeper into the mystery of the Bigfoot's origins, I discovered a document that unrevealed a sinister truth. The scientists who had created the creature were not working for the U.S. government, but for a secret organization with its own agenda. They had betrayed me and the entire nation, and now I was caught in the middle of a deadly game of cat and mouse. In the end, I found out that CIA caught Bigfoot and jailed him. This experience left me shaken. I wanted to expose this secret organization. I couldn't shake the feeling that there was more to the story. The scientists had hinted at the existence of other experiments, other creatures that they had created and released into the wild. I couldn't ignore this knowledge, and so I began to dig deeper, determined to expose any other secrets that the government might be hiding. It wasn't long before I stumbled upon something that chilled me to the bone. The scientists had been experimenting with human DNA, splicing it with that of animals to create hybrid beings that were stronger, faster, and more intelligent than any human. And they had released these creatures into the wild, hoping to study their behavior and learn from them. I knew that I had to act fast before the hybrids could cause any more harm. But the scientists were one step ahead of me, and they had set a trap that I couldn't escape. One day, while I was going to work, a dark black van parked outside my home. To cut the long story short, I was captured, taken to a secret facility deep in the heart of the forest, and subjected to experiments of my own. 
They wanted to see if they could create the ultimate hybrid, combining the strength and agility of the animals with the intelligence and cunning of a human. For weeks I was poked, prodded, and injected with all manner of strange substances. I was given drugs that heightened my senses, and I could hear the creatures outside my cell pacing and growling in frustration. But despite everything they did to me, I refused to break. I knew that if I could just hold out long enough, someone would come looking for me. And sure enough, after what felt like an eternity, I heard the sound of gunfire and the unmistakable voices of my fellow rescuers, the just man at the U.S. government. I emerged from the facility a changed man, scarred by the horrors that I had endured. But I had also emerged stronger, smarter, and more determined than ever to uncover the truth and bring the scientists to justice. And as I walked away from the facility, leaving behind the horrors of the deep woods, I knew that I had found my true calling, to fight against the shadows and the secrets that threatened to consume us all. I was hunting deer and bear with two buddies of mine. It was the second weekend of the high cascade deer season. We shot a bear just before dark and could not find it. The clear cut was very brushy and beginning to get very grown over. We decided to go to the pickup drive to the top of the hill, 200 yards or so, pull over and back into a wide spot to spend the night. My buddy slept just behind my truck and I slept in the canopy with the tailgate and canopy door open. Sometime in the night near midnight, give or take an hour on either side, I was awakened by very loud footsteps when I sat up to look outside. The moon was so bright one could read by it. This is a very remote area. We saw no campsites nearby, so I was surprised to hear someone walking down the road. I rode over to see if the guys were still there. They were in both asleep. The footsteps were loud and fast. I should have been able to see the person because it sounded so close. I then realized he had to be extremely heavy. I was about to roll over to sit up and look out again when it stopped. It had come around a corner and saw the truck and stopped. I was afraid to move, so I just lay silently and listened. Then I heard light footfalls. It was sneaking up on us. It snuck up to the font of truck. Then I could hear it slowly work, its way to the back. My head was out on the tailgate. If I tinned my head up and back, I would have been able to see it, but I was too afraid to move. It then went back around the front of the truck and stopped for a few moments. I thought it would leave then. I knew this was not a four-legged animal. I've heard deer and elk as well as other animals on gravel roads, and this was definitely bipedal. Now it began to sneak down the other side of the truck to the back and stand just above and behind me. This time I tried to look, but it was just too close to far back to see without turning my head and body, and I was unwilling to do that. This time I could slightly hear it breathing. Then it sneaked back to the road, waited there for, for a minute or two. Then loud and fast down the road it went. We were parked on a long curve, so when I finally looked out, it had just gone out of sight. I was awakened later when a deer came up to our spot, and it was very different. It snorted at us, then crashed down through the brush. The next day, I asked the guys if they heard anything. They said they heard the deer. I didn't tell them about the footsteps. I looked for evidence, but found nothing clear enough. We found the bear, packed it out, and I haven't gone back. 
We was walking through the woods in Tuskegee, Alabama, in the Tuskegee National Forest, going duck hunting. While we were walking, we stopped for a quick minute to rest, and I looked up and seen something flash before my eyes. As we got to our destination at the swamp, we looked to our left and saw something walking across the beaver dam. We do not believe it acknowledged our presence. We would describe it as a tall, wide black from head to toe creature, walking upright on two legs, trying to quickly get into the woods. Also looked like as if he were carrying a large object in one hand. It was time to go after that. The hunt was over. When I was 10, about 16 years ago, I saw a strange creature in my house. When I was coming home from my friend's house, it was about 8 p.m., and it was really dark. My parents weren't home. We had no pets at that, that time. The house was pitch black. I opened the front door and through the window of our hallway door. I saw a long, skinny creature standing in our living room. It had no hair or clothes and looked almost like a shadow. It was standing on two legs and had two arms. I couldn't recognize any excess features it might have had. There was a highway next to our house, so car lights made it look like a silhouette. It appeared to be so tall that it needed to crouch a bit to fit in our house. It didn't have eyes, but I felt it stared right into mine. I turned around and started running. I heard something crack behind me and kept running and didn't look back. After about 30 minutes of hiding in a bush 100 meters of our front door, I went to take a look. No sign of it anywhere, only a cracked porcelain lamp on the floor. Through the years, I have thought many times it was my imagination until recently. I went to see my parents a while ago, and after a quick look, I found the shards of that porcelain lamp in a plastic bag at the back of a wardrobe. I asked my parents what they knew about this lamp, and they said it broke a long time ago. They can't remember why. To this day, I have no idea what I saw or what it wanted. I live in the Northeast USA for context. So I was just out on a drive with my boyfriend last night, and we were driving on a road that goes through the woods. This road is located near a very large river and is surrounded by forest, but there are also houses in this area, so it's kind of a rural road and a residential area. Anyway, last night it was kind of foggy out, but as we drove down one section of this road, the fog got much more dense. I originally didn't think anything of it because, like I said, there is a river nearby. The river probably caused the fog, but because of the fog we had to drive incredibly slow. As we were driving out of the corner of my eye I saw movement so I turned to look and on the side of the road there was a lone deer. Now since I live in a rural area deer are extremely common, I actually really love deer. Up to this point so normally I wouldn't think twice. but. As soon as I looked into its eyes, my heart dropped. I got the chills, and my immediate thought was something is extremely wrong. I need to get the F out of here. This deer was huge. It had to be twice the size. If a normal deer, it definitely wasn't a buck. And its chest looked weird, too. It almost stuck out a little, and it was broader than a normal deer. And I don't know. This deer just gave me the heebie-jeebies. And as I'm thinking this, my BF also goes, what the F is that? A kangaroo. 
and we were talking about how freaking creepy and weird this deer was. He was saying how he didn't like the way it was looking at us. It almost looked fake, but it moved, so it was definitely alive. Physically, it had all of the characteristics of a deer, but I've never seen an animal that filled me with so much dread and triggered my fight or flight like that. Something about this animal filled me with the sense that something was wrong, and I couldn't even speed away because we were surrounded by fog, so I had to make a rather slow escape while trying not to look in the rearview mirror. I'm a bit shaken as this sighting has taken place tonight, so me, 18 female, and my boyfriend, 21 male, were walking home from a movie. We got to the point where we'd normally say goodbye, and I walked the rest of the way home, and we were standing talking. Suddenly my boyfriend turns to look at something away from me in the distance, and he was focused on it. I turn to look at what he's seeing, and I see it too. Across a small field from us, I see a pitch-black creature that was moving kinda side to side, almost like a seal, and it seemed like it was getting closer, but it wasn't moving forward. I asked my boyfriend if it was getting closer, and he said he thought that as well. We both seen exactly the same thing. Our descriptions are identical when we were speaking about it. I was so scared he walked me the rest of the way home. When he was walking back home, it was gone, and nothing was there. Would like to know what it was, or if anyone has seen something similar. We're in the UK, if that helps. There were a group of loggers who, after a long day, settled around the fire. As they congregate at the fire, they find themselves feeling watched. Apparently, someone or something was watching them from the tree line. Being loggers, they decided to ignore it until the loudest howl that any of them had ever heard emanated into the campsite. Not knowing how near this canine was, they quickly made their way into their cabins. The description of the cabins is a single-room log dwelling with bunk beds, and the door was tall to accommodate axes over shoulders. So it was about a seven-foot door with a small window about six feet up. The loggers now in the cabin begin to discuss the oddity of having wolves so close to camp. Then they heard the howl again. This time it was right outside the cabin. None of them had a gun at the time. They decided it was best to block the door and wait until sunrise in order to attempt to chase the wolves off. This is when they hear some guttural gibberish. The sound was something close to words, but not quite. The sounds made their way around the outside of the cabin until it reached the door. In the door window, they could see the face of a very large dog-looking thing peering at them. Immediately, some of the loggers began to pray, while others were too shocked by the sight of the massive canine head. The wolf apparently retreated in the morning, but they can find no sign of wolves other than some very large paw prints around the cabin. But the prince suggested that this beast was bipedal. From what I can gather, this story originated in the forests east of Traverse City, Michigan, sometime in the early 1970s. There was another account from the area around the Ottawa National Forest in the Upper Peninsula at about the same time period. I may have stumbled onto a print by pure accident while hiking with my niece and nephew in the Sizzleslaw National Forest, west of Dallas, Oregon. 
I will give details of the location later as not to saturate the site with the public so I can finish my investigation in the area and get more readings and data, GPS photos and history on the area. Here is what I have thus far. On the mid-afternoon of 24 July, I took my niece, age 13, and nephew, age 16, to an area I used to hunt and log about 30 years ago west of Dallas, Oregon. Thirty years has changed the area quite a bit as Weyerhaeuser has bought up a lot of the lot of the land. Boise and Hampton Company is most of the area is logged out. There is still a large standing area of some old growth and an area in which to hike in. We were not fifteen men out from my truck on a trail and my nephew blurted out, Uncle Ron, look at this footprint. Off the trail a foot or two was a large print made in dried mud. The last rain in the area was about 6 July 2003, so the print was well-defined and clear as the photo shows. Several things I noticed about the print. 1. It was not a boot print as no boot tracks were showing. The print was smooth, consistent with a bare footprint. 2. The width was about 9 inches wide at the largest width and about 14 inches long. 3. Toe contours could clearly be seen, but it looks like whatever made e-print may have stepped on a trig wood, so not all the toes made an imprint in the mud as the casting shows. 4. The footprint clearly shows a heel print, an arch in the foot, the edge of the foot, that wide proportions from a very heavy individual. 5. As the trail is used lightly by mountain bikers and horses, as seen by tracks on the trail. Our five hours up on the trail, I only saw one mountain biker that day while in the area, so it is not used that much, maybe only by locals who live in Dallas or people who know the area. I attempted to make GPS readings that day, but for some reason, my GPS could not pick up satellite signals, possibly from the heavy canopy of trees. Another attempt for a longer lat reading with negative results on a second trip. I will attempt a third trip with new batteries and see what happens. The print was, as I said, left of the trail going SSW above of the trail going SSW. I searched the area for about two hours, hair samples on trees, scat or other prints in area. Negative results. Photos of area were taken from different perspective points. At this point, as I don't want to contaminate the area with undue traffic, I will keep the exact location confidential until I complete my investigation. Now a little history on the area. I have hunted the Fall City and Dallas area since 1970. In 1972, while heading to Falls City, Oregon, my friend Rick swerved to miss something darting across the road. I was a witness to something large, tall and running on two legs, not four. Thinking it may have been a bear or a crazed hunter dressed in black, we both as teenagers could not answer what we saw. The stories we had heard is that the Dallas and Falls City area from old-timers and hunter friends of ours, stories of Bigfoot circulated during that time, especially after the famous Red Bluff California film clip of the famous Roger Patterson from 1967. As the photo shows, I took a casting of the footprint. As mentioned, only one was found thus far. Within the next few days, I will attempt to return to the area for further investigation and findings. We'll keep you posted.
I wasn't sure where else to post this. I need to wrap my head around this because it's been bugging me since that day. My sister lives in a small neighborhood in Kentucky, along a long road, and one side of the road goes up into a nearby mountain with woods. I stay with her sometimes so I can more easily walk to work on days I have to open. I got out a few mornings ago around 3.35 a.m. I walked along the back road for a bit to turn towards a kind of alleyway that leads into another back road. As I come up to the turn, I notice a pack of what looked like dogs. It was pretty dark, even with the streetlights, so the only major details I could see were that there were, were, were more than one of them. They had big, bushy tails, and one of them was especially large. I'd say about the size of a young deer. I kept walking past the local courthouse to get to the main road. At the end of the second back road I was on, there are a few small houses with small yards. In the first yard against the road I saw them again, more clearly. Same bushy tails, but their bodies were short hair and looked more like deer. I thought it was strange for deer to have tails like that. As I turn the corner to get to the main road, I see two smaller ones run off. They must have seen or heard me. But the big one, that's the one I saw clear as day, close to one one, the streetlights. It took a few steps and turned sideways and it lifted up its head. The best description I can give is that it had the aforementioned body and tail, but its neck was long. I mean, really long, disturbingly long. I'm 5'9", and its body would have come up to about my belly button, while the neck and head would have been taller than me. It was like a miniature giraffe. It stared at me and didn't move. The thing scared me so much I got out of there as quickly as I could. I wish I hadn't been such a coward. I would have whipped out my phone and taken video of the thing. I could hear them making noises, too. They made this sound, a sound I had heard many times before on my early morning walks. It kind of sounds like a sort of bleeding, something like a sharp croaking. Please help me if someone has seen something similar somewhere, perhaps in or around Kentucky. I've been keeping my phone in my hand and turn on recording as soon as I step outside. If I get anything, I'll post it here. Any help or information would be appreciated, if nothing else, than to make me feel less creeped out when I go out in the mornings.